0: Hi, everybody. Uh, Thanks for joining us today for Citizens Climate Lobby's Big Tent Climate Talks. Um, This is a conversation in a quarterly series that spotlights uh, leaders in the climate community. Uh, At CCL, we know that solving climate change requires a variety of policies and perspectives. This is why we do our work under a big tent. Um, That includes folks from the right, the left, and every spot in between. In our Big Ten episodes, uh, we'll talk to a wide variety of climate leaders uh, outside of CCL to learn more about how we can all work together in this space better. Uh, For those of you who don't know, uh, I'm Kyle Kameen, and I'm the Manager of Stakeholder Engagement and Government Affairs uh, here at CCL. My work focuses on building the coalition of partners in our Big Ten and advocating for legislation. Uh, For our episode today, CCL is beyond pleased to be hosting a conversation with Bill McKibben, to discuss some of his most recent work uh, founding a new climate organization called third act i also want to acknowledge and thank uh, dr eric miller and the ccl bloomsburg chapter in pennsylvania for their help uh, setting up today's conversation but before i introduce a uh, bill i want to do a few gentle reminders on our ground rules as cclers we love our focus and we're open-minded uh, today's focus is on listening and learning from the perspectives of fellow climate advocates If you bump into a moment where a reaction where someone shares something you think or feel differently about, lean into it, see it as an opportunity to learn about the larger climate movement and better understand that perspective. Uh, Learning from each other and working together is really how we're going to get this job done. Um, So with that, I will introduce someone, today's guest, someone I imagine many of you are very familiar with. Uh, Bill is a contributing writer to The New Yorker and a founder of Third Act, which organizes people over the age of 60 to work on climate and racial justice. He founded the first global grassroots climate campaign, 350.org, and serves as the Schumann Distinguished Professor in Residence at Middlebury College in Vermont. In 2014, he was awarded the Wright Livelihood Prize, sometimes called the Alternative Nobel, in the Swedish parliament. He's also won the Gandhi Peace Award and honorary degrees from 19 colleges and universities. He has written over a dozen books about the environment, including his first, The End of Nature, published in 1989 as the first book on global warming written for a general audience. Uh, Bill, given your prominence in the climate movement, I imagine many of our guests are very familiar, but is there anything um, that you'd like to add to that that maybe we missed in the bio or anything like that?
1: Well, uh, only that I've gotten over the years to to do uh, lots of work with CCL and various chapters of it over the years. I think I was the guest on what may have been almost the very first uh, national call that CCL did long, long, long time ago. And I've uh, 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 admired and helped where I could uh, over the years. And I've been particularly happy to see that my old friend and 350 colleague, Madeline Perra, has risen to the absolute apex of CCL. Uh, uh, You couldn't do better than her and um, I got to see her and give her a big hug of congratulations not long ago. So that made me very, very happy.
0: Well, that's terrific. I know we're very excited as staff uh, to have to have Madeline leading us. Uh, she's a terrific leader and I think is, is going to do great things um, as our leader here at CCL. Um, well, with that said, I'll stop talking. We'll jump into the questions. Um, I just wanted to note for the audience that we've saved some time at the bottom of the hour to handle audience Q&A. Um, so for for this part of the conversation, I'll be asking Bill some questions um, that we've already can to start up the conversation, and then the back half of the hour we will we'll go through audience questions. So please, um, you know, don't be afraid to put those in the chat, and and I will uh, get through them later. Um, so Bill, the, fir- the first question we had for you is, you know, can you tell the audience a little bit about the why um, behind Third Act and and how you personally you know got involved in the climate movement and how that's led to Third Act.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, How I got involved in the climate movement is uh, basically the story of my life. When I was in my mid-twenties, I wrote The End of Nature, which was the first book about climate change. Came out in 1989. And, you know, people read it all over the place. Um, It was in 24 languages and things. I I think in those days, I conceived of what we were doing as an argument that we needed to win. Uh, uh, And so being a good writer and academic and things. I published more books, uh, organized symposiums, gave many, many talks, so on and so forth. At a certain point, maybe 10 years on, it became clear to me that um, we'd won the argument. There was no doubt about what was going on with climate change. We were just losing the fight because the fight wasn't about data or reason or policy or anything else the fight was about what fights are almost always about, money and power. And the fossil fuel industry had so much money and hence so much power, that though they'd lost the argument, they were showing no signs of losing the fight. And um, that's when some of us decided that really it was time to start organizing, to build movements that could stand up to, some of that power and and really force some change. So 350.org which I started uh, in about 2006 with a bunch of college students here at Middlebury College in Vermont where I teach turned into the first sort of iteration of a global climate movement. We've organized about 20,000 demonstrations in every country on the planet except North Korea at this point Kyle. And uh, the um uh, we sort of spearheaded the fight about the Keystone Pipeline that became the first defeat for big oil and sort of spawned happily opposition to every pipeline and well and LNG Terminal and everything else. Uh, and, and then we um, launched the fossil fuel divestment campaign which has become the largest campaign of its kind in history. We're at about $40 trillion in endowments and portfolios that have divested from fossil fuel. Very good mood today because Princeton University became the latest uh, to announce that they were divesting their $37 billion endowment about an hour ago. Uh, Princeton almost completes the Ivy League, I think, as, uh, uh, but it's also Oxford and Cambridge and the University of California and the University of Michigan. It's most of the big religious denominations, many of the biggest pension funds in the world, uh, on and on and on. Um, and all those things have been terrific. But the best part of it was that the movement, uh, you know, many, many others followed us into this work of trying to build movements and make change CCL clearly among them. Yes. Uh, Many of the many of. uh, And as I say, Madeline was an early organizer at 350 Madison, Wisconsin, which is where I got to know her. I can remember sitting on her back porch as we plotted strategy in in Madison. Many of the people, if not most of the people that that followed us into this work and have been doing this work are young people. And that's terrific. The young people from the divestment campaigns, when they graduated from college, having fought for divestment from fossil fuel, many of them went on to form this thing called the Sunrise Movement that brought us the Green New Deal and who turned out to be among the savviest uh, political players in Washington. Uh, they're really, I think more responsible than anybody else for the passage of the inflation reduction act, which is kind of the boiled down version of, of the green new deal. Uh, it was Varshini Prakash, their leader, who was, uh, uh who, who, along with, uh, John Kerry and Gina McCarthy formed the kind of working group that Biden set up in order to uh, uh, come up with his climate legislation before he took office. Varshini was the person who had divested UMass Amherst. And then of course, young people all over the planet joined, um, joined behind Greta Thunberg. Um, uh, Greta is one of my favorite people in the world. I love working with her. Uh, I just had an email from her the day before yesterday just catching up and thinking about the future. Um, But she would be the first to say that there are 10,000 Greta Thunbergs around the planet. There really are junior high and high school students everywhere. They've got about 10 million followers. That's how many kids were out on climate strike in September of 2019. Um, and, And I love all those efforts. The only thing I'd begun to worry about was a few too many people I heard saying, well, this is up to the next generation to get this job done which struck me as both ignoble and impractical. Um, uh, impractical because young people for all their energy, ambition, uh, uh, intelligence, uh, idealism, lack the structural power to make change that we need. And, and I think that it's people like me, Kyle, uh, uh, over the age of 60 who have a large role to play in helping bring that change about uh, large role to play because there are 70 million of us in this country that's yeah. uh, larger than the population of france uh we punch above our weight politically even uh, from those numbers because we vote in such high percentage there's no known way to keep old people from voting and we we ended up with most of the money too Uh, You know, there's about 70% of the country's financial assets belong to the baby boomers or the silent generation. And so, um, um, if we want to move Washington, or we want to move Wall Street, then it seems like a good idea to get some people with hairlines like mine engaged (laughs) in this fight. And that's what's been happening in the last six or eight months people by their 10s of 1000s have been flooding in to help. And w- w- we've begun to m- mount campaigns and get work done that I think we'll. Uh, I think we've got plenty to work on for the years ahead.
0: Well, I think two things. One, it's fascinating to listen to you talk about kind of the history of the climate movement um, as 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 you've seen it um, evolving. And the second is, you know, it it, it is very clear uh, the outsized influence um, that 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 generation, those generations that you're talking about have um, in the political process um, and kind of the power structure of of U.S. politics. Um, And so, you know, one of the things uh, that that kind of leads me to is thinking about, you know, what Third Act wants to focus on in its efforts. What are some of the projects and areas of focus, you know, related to climate, particularly for our conversations purposes, but that, you know, Third Act is really starting to lean into and hopes to lean into. Sure.
1: There's two areas that we're working hard on it. And they strike me as the two areas that people our age may have sort of taken for granted. Uh, One, which I'll get back to, and the thing that's closest to my heart are these questions around the physical stability of the planet, which is obviously now in question. And the other is around the stability of our democracies. I mean, if you'd told me when I was 20 that, you know, the polar ice caps would quickly be melting, um, and we'd be, you know, <laughs> uh, 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 the sea level would be up a foot, I would have told you that was obviously lunacy and impossible because no one had ever even imagined that such a thing could happen. Similarly, if I someone had told me that, you know, thousands of people would be storming the nation's capital and killing police officers in order to stop the counting of votes, I would have told you that was impossible too, that America was not a country like that. Um, But as it turns out, those things are possible. (laughs) And and so we're working hard on the democracy front and trying to preserve voting rights and make sure that that we don't slip into something different here. But on climate, uh, we're we're doing several things. Uh, One is trying hard to support this legislative uh, process. Uh, We did a lot of work around the IRA and then I was down in uh, Washington the day before yesterday uh uh working on this side deal that mansion tossed in uh with our colleagues uh at uh, uh who've been fighting pipelines and things across the uh appalachians um but truthfully i think that that our guess is that there may not be as many opportunities in the next two years for federal progress uh Um, we'll see what happens in the election, but it it may not be. And truthfully, one place where I've perhaps disagreed with CCL's analysis over the years is I've never really thought there was much hope that we'd get uh, the Republican Party buy-in to change. So if the, you know, if, Mitch McConnell and uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy are back in control of the show. I, I don't think we're gonna get much climate action. I'd be happy to be proven wrong. But in any event, we'll keep working hard to make it happen there and on the states, but we're not gonna rest on that. We also think that there's a very important role to be played in taking on Wall Street, as it were. I think that there are two levers big enough to pull matter in the climate debate. One's marked politics, and We've all pulled that one pretty far to the floor and the others marked money and we've done some of that but not enough so one of the campaigns we're fully embarked on now is to take on the big banks the four big american banks city chase wells fargo bank of america are also the four biggest lenders to the fossil fuel industry in the world they keep the spigot the money pipeline running to these guys, allowing them to continue to drill in the Arctic, build new pipelines, and not coincidentally, purchase congressmen, which they've done very effectively for a long time. Um, And so we're doing our best to take them on. First round is uh, a campaign to get people to uh, 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 pledge to cut up their credit cards from these banks by next spring if they haven't begun to change. the day when we cut them up is going to be a, a exciting and fun one uh, all across America. We've got a lot of good things in mind and a lot of partners joining in because we deeply believe in coalitional work. Is um, that
0: the Bug the Banks campaign? Is that the Bug the Banks campaign?
1: Yeah, yeah. And we've calling it banking on our future. And it, it's it's it, 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 what it'll morph into eventually, really probably sooner rather than later, is also an effort to pressure uh, you know, uh, 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 city and state treasurers to put pressure on banks and also big companies. This has gotten very interesting. I did a piece for the New Yorker three years ago to sort of the sort of start of some of this work called had the long title, uh, money is the oxygen on which the fires of global warming burn. And we've gotten a more detailed analysis of that in the last few months, Kyle, Uh, wonderful Group of researchers finally published a series of reports that allow us for the first time to really document what the carbon contribution of cash in the bank is. We've always known there is one. Uh, in fact, the uh, you know official uh, worksheets that companies fill out to quantify their carbon emissions has a place under the scope three emissions for just this calculation but no one's ever filled it out because there was never a methodology to do it. Now there is. And the numbers are really shocking. In this New Yorker piece, we showed that, for instance, uh, Netflix produces more money from its carbon uh, in the bank than it does from all the TV shows that people watch around the world every night. Amazon's um, uh, uh, carbon emissions from their cash are higher than all their delivery vans and warehouses combined. And uh, for, for those of us who have a little money in the bank, it turns out that if you have 125 grand in the American banking system, it's probably producing more carbon as it's being lent out for pipelines and things, than all the cooking, flying, heating, driving, cooling that the average American does in the course of a year. So this is not a trivial pressure point, it's an important one. And, and we think that, you know, as time goes by, we'll have the support, say, of those big companies. Google, Apple, whatever, have all pledged to go net zero, right. but they can't do it if they, uh, you know, if their money is out there spinning carbon. Uh, the treasurer, of the comptroller of the city of New York, who has a lot of cash flow in his operation, uh, uh, said a couple weeks ago that this next time to start taking this seriously and putting some pressure on these guys to change so that's the work that that one of the pieces of this that will be about and it's great fun because we're doing it in collaboration uh with all kinds of young people Uh, Kyle, I was just up at a demonstration outside a Chase Bank office, and there were a couple hundred high school kids there, because high school kids completely get this, and being somewhat spryer, they were at the front of the march, but uh, behind them there was a large group of us, a big group of older people, marching under a banner that said, fossils against fossil fuels. Um, So we're doing it in the best spirit that we can.
0: No, that's, that is, uh, it sounds like you had good fun with that. That's, that's great. Um, And, and a good partnership opportunity with that group of young people as well as they were, uh, you know, working on their, on that effort. Um, There was a lot there, uh, you know, and, and I think, you know, we can certainly appreciate um, the work that you all did to support the IRA. That was something that, you know, we generated a lot of calls to congressional offices, et cetera, trying to, to get that across the finish line as well. Um, and you know, as you mentioned on the federal progress component, there's going to be, it's going to need, we're going to need to see what the next Congress looks like. There's no doubt, um, before we can really, uh, peg, um, and what, what the opportunities will be. What the strategy
1: is, that's exactly right, and
0: And so we're working uh, hard to
1: try and shape the next Congress as we're going along, so that, that's, that's fun and important work too.
0: And, and CCL partnered with Environmental Voter Project and, and is really pushing, um, you know, our volunteers resources to be able to engage um, with Environmental Voter Project and, and help people turn out to vote. So that's certainly an effort on our part as well. Um, well, and, and on that note, you know, what are some thoughts that you have um, on how Third Act's efforts and, and CCL uh, can best be in the movement together? You know, what are some of the ways that you think, you know, CCL can be most helpful on on third acts, um, you know, priorities on the climate space.
1: Well, certainly for individual uh, members just joining in to take this uh, banking pledge is very helpful, and and it's the kind of thing that I, I note in the I'm noting in the chat. It's fun to watch uh, people saying that they uh, started the uh, Lehigh Valley chapter after I, mine where I was plugging CCL, and that makes me happy because uh, it's something I've routinely done for a long time. Um, uh, this is something that chapters could easily work on too. It's not a, an extraordinarily time consuming, day. we're going to, the day that we do this sort of cutting up of credit cards can be a lot of fun. We're going to have people underwater on dying coral reefs. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, it, we've got all too many illustrations of what we're yeah. talking about at the moment. And I'm afraid we have a lot more today than we did yesterday. Um, mm pictures from Fort Myers, the pictures from Port Charlotte, the pictures from Cape Coral, uh, the pictures from Tampa Bay are are utterly heartbreaking. Uh, And, you know, one of the things we've said over the years, which is correct, is that climate change hits hardest those who've done the least to cause it. And that's definitely true, but it's not universally true. I mean, uh, that was, you know, that Hurricane Ian, riding an extra foot of sea level rise as it surged into those bays uh uh you know was striking right at the heart of absolutely average uh uh, america um so that's one good way to participate but another way is just for people to join these all-in calls that we're doing once a month Um, and they've been lots of fun Uh, one of the reasons i mean it's 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 very, uh, someone asks if there's a platform for uh, helping decide which cards to cut up and which to use, and there is, and we can, you know, sign this pledge and we'll be getting you lots of information going forward. But the the, the thing so far has been lots of fun for people just to play any part in, partly because the, um, well, here's a way to say it people said for a long time that it was useless organizing older people because people became more conservative as they aged and hence they wouldn't want to work on these things. Mm-hmm. I've never thought that's true. And I think that there's a, a certain number of older people in the CCL ranks, you know, yeah, which I absolutely. Think just proved it just as there has been at 350 and, and elsewhere. But the, um, the real pleasure uh, has been um, um, being reminded that we're not your grandparents grandparents you know um the the people who are in their 60s and 70s and 80s now in their first act when we were young were around for this period of vigorous social cultural political transformation uh, that brought us most of the, I mean, if you go look at all the things the Supreme Court's trying to take away, they all come from this period. The yeah. Voting Rights Act of 1965, the Gun Control Act of 1968, the Clean Air Act and the EPA of 7071, Roe v. Wade of 73. If we were gonna conserve anything, this is what we'd be conserving, you know? And so, so it hasn't surprised me people's reaction, say what you will about our generation, but we did produce the best music the world's ever seen. And it's been great fun to have Carol King and Neil Young and Patty Smith and Bette Midler and Mandy Patinkin and all these people joining in to help. Um, there's an awful lot of talent in uh, our age group.
0: The, no, it's it's. I think you're absolutely right. There's um, there's. You, you pointed out how how much um, transition in the United States that that generation was a part of early on, um, and now can come back to. the floor and be a part of you know, trying to create positive change again. Um, so I think that's, that's really incredible. Um, you touched on this in, in your answer um, earlier, uh, but it's one of the questions I, I had lined up. I'm curious if you can give a little more um, uh, context to, to what you're thinking. So you know, we recently saw the passage of, of the IRA as well as you know, climate investments in the infrastructure law and in the CHIPS Act. Um, But, you know, those of us in that work in the space, we know that the work isn't done, Uh, there's still plenty more that that needs to happen. Um, Can you describe what, you know, Third Act sees or you see as kind of the next priorities on climate, Um, now that we've, we've made, we've had some wins, we've had some progress, um, what's, Mm -hmm. what are the next priorities?
1: Well, the two things I think that are, are going to be important now are one, um, execution. Um, there's now, we've now obviously entered a period when the economic, um, the economic forces have changed. A little bit of that's the money that'll come from the IRA. An awful lot of it's just the fact that scientists and engineers have so dramatically driven down the cost of renewable energy. Uh, you know, solar panels and wind turbines have dropped in price by about 90% in the last decade, which is really quite it's a inc- miracle.
0: It's Incredible. Um,
1: and, and what it means is there's really no longer a big technological or financial obstacle to making rapid change. Uh, but there is, there, that doesn't mean there aren't obstacles. Um, uh, one of those obstacles is just inertia, which is always a large force in human affairs. Yeah. You know, we're used to doing things one way, everybody's, so we need to be pushing, especially state and local uh, uh, officials and things to just make the kind of changes that are starting to happen. Uh, and and it's, uh, you know, so California has just announced that there'll be, you know, no uh, 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 internal combustion cars by 2035. And I believe I saw that New York State may have followed that today. Okay. Um, California is set to pass. There'll be no installation of anything and of gas heaters or cooktops uh, uh, in within a decade. Um, uh, those are huge changes, and they're going to require all kinds of things to make them work. Among other things, America is short about a million electricians at right. the moment, from what we need. So. You know, there's a whole lot of work to be done spinning that up, that execution works really important. So execution to overcome inertia and action to overcome vested interest, because look, the fossil fuel industry, I think, in their heart of hearts, know that their days are numbered. uh, That 40 years from now, we're going to run the world on sun and wind and batteries. Uh, and, and maybe whatever, you know, next generation nuclear technology we develop or wave energy or whatever it is. But, but if it takes us 40 years to get there, Kyle, then the world we run on clean energy is going to be a broken world. So that's what the fossil fuel industry would like, to take as long as possible to spin as much money out of their business model as they can to get as many of their assets out of the ground before they become stranded. And so our job is to try also to slow down this industry, to politically weaken them, to make it harder to do the right thing. Um, That's been much of my work really for the last 10 years in this divestment work and the work around pipelines and things and it continues with this work on the financial system. It's the thing that's gotten in the way more than anything else of rational policymaking is the power of the fossil fuel industry <clears throat> so you know if you if, if one in the end sits down and asks oneself, why have we not done say the extremely obvious step of putting a price on carbon yeah. uh, doing so In the end, it's because the fossil fuel industry made sure it didn't happen. And that was that sad uh, that sad testimony to that fact and that leaked, Exxon video yeah. last year, where Exxon's chief lobbyist was like, <clears throat> "Yeah, this is you know we know this is never going to happen. We can keep it. it was just a talking point for us, and and so I, I think that if we continue weakening that power, then all things become possible. Eventually, um, um, we shall see. So those are our the, the, uh, overcoming inertia and overcoming vested interest remain the key things, and in the process of doing both those things. We continue to do the thing that we've done most successfully for the last 10 or 15 years, and that remains key, which is continuing just to shift the zeitgeist in these yeah. fights. So every fight we do, win or lose, whether it's about uh, divesting Princeton or blocking the Keystone Pipeline or passing a fee and dividend law or anything else, when we lose it or when we win it, just the fact of fighting it uh, uh, lets Helps helps change people's sense of what's normal and natural and obvious. And once in a while, I've had friends in CCL just say, "Oh, I feel like we're not getting anywhere because we're, you know, we're we very focused on this one project and it hasn't come to pass." And and I, I, I've always said, "No, that's not true. The work that you all have been doing has been continuing to play an important part in." in shifting our sense of that zeitgeist. And as we do it, far more becomes possible. The Inflation Reduction Act would not have been possible five years ago. And it is possible now because of the work all of us have done to just change the mood uh, uh, nationally. And and I will add, it's important to keep doing this work as globally as we can as well. They don't call it global warming. Okay.
0: No, absolutely not. Um, And, and thank you for saying that I know, um, you know, post uh, IRA, you know, some thinking ahead, um, you know, thinking about what our priorities will be, it's going to continue to be, you know, well, a carbon, a carbon fee and dividend model would still accelerate this change and and, and that's important and, you know, thinking about what else we can do on the margins in what it could be a divided Congress is that nature based climate solutions and some other efforts that we can do there so. That's that. Those are the kinds of things that you know. Keeping carbon fee and dividend front and center, but these other items that we want to do on the perimeter to keep conversation going, keep racking up the wins that are positive. Yes, I think
1: that's. I think that's very smart thinking, and I do think that having, remembering that there are power sectors outside of politics, especially in finance, is really important. Um, One of the good things about taking on Wall Street—it's not easy in any way, but. When we get wins there, and we've gotten some, um, two things. One, Wall Street is global in a way that even Washington, Washington doesn't really rule the world the way once it did, but Wall Street still kind of does. And two, the other thing that's good about working in the financial sector is uh, hard to move, but when it moves, it moves quickly. So if J.P. Morgan Chase tomorrow said, you know what, we're no longer banking fossil fuel expansion plans, can't get a loan from us anymore, that news would be reflected in every stock market in the world inside of twenty minutes. You know. Yeah. Um, so, so it, it, there are some. I, I if, if if I were you, I would if I were people at CCL, I would do a little bit of work in that realm too. Um, it's interesting also, and it draws on other muscles, kind of. Um, It's a different set of challenges uh, uh, and different set of possibilities. Uh, Among other things, you know, there's one one way in which it's strategically and politically a little easier. As you're all too well aware, our political system dramatically favors the status quo between, Mm -hmm. you know, two senators per state and gerrymandered districts and the filibuster and you know dark money and elections and on and on and on it's you know it's the kind of red state model of things that's that's why you guys have uh you know tried to go after get republicans on board in the financial world that's a little different about 70 percent of the country's gdp came from counties that voted blue in the last election. So that money is in places where it's somewhat easier to get a hand on. Um, so, you know, it, at least there's a, there are people shouldn't give up on uh, these fights before they happen. There's some interesting work to be done.
0: Well, uh, I think I, I couldn't agree more. There's a lot of interesting work yet to be done. Um, I wanna jump into some questions we've had coming in from volunteers. Um, and I'm going to try and ask them in an order somewhat makes sense. Um, so one that we have is earlier, you were talking about, um, the carbon impact of folks money in the bank. Uh, and the question is saying, can you kind of break that down into the basics? How does the money in the bank create carbon? Is it because it's being lent out in a way that facilitates emissions? And are we talking about is, is money in a credit union, any less intensive? How, how, what kind of things should folks be thinking about?
1: Good questions. Uh, and uh yes, that's precisely why. It's it's the capital on which uh uh doubt to the fossil fuel industry, which then uses it to keep. It's not so much. People have fewer objections to the you know, to to having some kind of financial relationship going on with the fossil fuel industry. We're obviously not getting off oil tomorrow, sadly. So there needs to, you know, they need to have a banking relationship, but it's the it's the uh the the carbon comes as the people measure it in the um commitment to projects that are going to be here for 40 years i mean if you're building a new pipeline now you're expecting to be making money off it for four or five decades that's how they're financed you know and that's clearly crazy it's you know has nothing to do with what any of the climate scientists are telling us is correct or possible and yes the chances are that your credit union has less connection to fossil fuel, different probably if you're in Texas or Louisiana, but um, but th- th- there's a pretty good chance. There's also beginning to be an emerging series of banks who are getting fairly explicit about not being connected. Uh, some of them are very progressive on these questions. On the East Coast Amalgamated Bank out of New York, there's also some very large banks that are joining in now in this work. I think that people can look at first republic bank in california one of the 20 biggest banks has no fossil fuel ties and for business banking relationships uh uh, one of the emerging players is silicon valley bank 15th biggest bank in the country uh obviously deeply connected to the tech sector and that's probably why they have no strong connections to fossil fuel so there are good options there
0: that's that's really helpful and a question that it's related um, can you talk a bit about how, as opposed to banks, um, something like a company that runs mutual funds like a Fidelity or a Vanguard um, plays in that space? Sadly, they fit in badly so far.
1: Um, BlackRock, uh, uh, Vanguard, State Street have, you know, are the largest institutional, largest holders of uh, fossil fuel, and they've... <laughs> They've made some good noises, but they lack, they lack the courage of whatever convictions they have. Uh, this year, um, Texas and Louisiana uh, barked at uh, BlackRock guys who, and their CEO mm-hmm. immediately backed down, and stopped, you know, for, BlackRock wouldn't even vote their shares on obvious climate um, votes in this year's annual general meeting season. So there's a lot of work to be done there too. And, and, and people are doing it. It's, it's not that hard anymore for individuals to find fossil free funds to join in on. And by the way, all of this is made much easier by the fact that uh, uh, t- there's no financial penalty to doing the right thing uh, here. Uh, the fossil fuel sector has underperformed the rest of the economy for the last decade for reasons that all of us know very well. I mean, you know, it's a technology that's that's uh, outmoded and they have a competitor now who can do the same thing cleaner and cheaper. So over the long run, I mean, they'll have boom years like this one where Vladimir right. Putin helps out and they make some money, but uh, uh, it, it, it's... Um, it'd be a good idea to scrub your portfolio. I'm not a, not that I'm an investment manager, Uh, (laughs) you know, take my advice for what it's worth, but I am a, uh, I do know a lot about carbon and I can tell you that at the very least your portfolio will be, um, will feel better uh, uh, once it's, once it's rid of these guys.
0: I will tell you on that note, something that um, I was, I was pleased to see in that kind of back and forth, as you mentioned, um, you know, the Attorney General and a few um, red states had fired back about the whole ESG movement and accusing these funds of a number of things, um, but I was, I think it was just last month, um, a number of, of the funds and some, some blue attorneys general fired back um, yep. In, the, in opposition, and and you know, rather than just kind of folding. So I think we're seeing, um, at least to me, that was an indicator of a bit of a sea change that's happening in that process. Probably not fast enough, but I I was I, I did think that was kind of indicating the seas changing a bit there.
1: Exactly right.
0: Um, okay, so I have three more questions. I know we're close on time, so I want to run through them as quickly as as possible. The first one is is I think you can answer quickly. Um, the question is: How many chapters of Third Act are there in the U.S. approximately, and how many members approximately? <laughs> uh,
1: d- tens of thousands of members, somewhere north of forty thousand. I, you know, I don't. I, I, I truthfully haven't been keeping track, and people are quickly forming chapters and working groups, and they're forming them in two ways. One is the obvious geographical one. So there's mm-hmm. Third Act Virginia. Was I was just down with those guys outside the Capitol last week, and. You know so on and so forth but people are also forming working groups based on what they spent their life doing mm-hmm. so there's a faith working group largely retired pastors and rabbis and things uh or educators uh, uh hundreds and hundreds of former teachers, and those are good too because they allow you to bring sectoral pressure to bear and real expertise and credibility to bear. So the Third Act educators are working hard to divest teacher pensions from okay. fossil fuel. And uh, believe me, teacher pensions add up to a large share of the country's money supply, so.
0: Okay. no, thank you, that's, that's great. Uh, the next question is, is I know uh, a difficult one to answer in a short period of time. Um, This question is, you know, the Washington Post editorial board argues uh, that we need some form of permitting reform in order to build the grid to transport the electricity we need for renewable energy. Um, I would add, you know, there's also the Princeton repeat study, I think it's from Jesse Jenkins that refers to as much as 80% of the emissions reductions for IRA can't be achieved if we don't do something along the transmission uh, path. Um, So the question is, you know, what do you think about, you know, these arguments and and this data and, and kind of what what are your parameters that you see as, as needed on that in this topic?
1: I think that's right. Um, okay. I, I, I think we need, there's no question that we need both permitting reform and a kind of change in our attitude around this stuff. I, you know, I write this newsletter uh, all the time on Substack called The Crucial Years, and I, one time this year I devoted one uh, to, to really going after my beloved home state of Vermont which had just turned down a 10 acre solar farm solely on aesthetic grounds. People didn't want to look at it. And I just said, that's it. You know, guys, this is not okay anymore. Um, um, in a world in as much hurt as we're in, you don't get to say, say that what we need to do is figure out a, um, a kind of new aesthetic. You need to look at a windmill up on the horizon and think, wow, there's the breeze made visible and it's beautiful and it's beautiful in part because it means we're taking responsibility for energy ourselves. So some of that can come from federal permitting reform and that'll be especially important as regards transmission corridors and transmission lines. Um, Most of it is probably gonna have to be done at a state and local level, because that's most of the permits and the um, things that we're talking about.
0: And that's more as of always, the that's more of the NIMBYism kind of challenges.
1: Yes, yeah. as always, state public utility commissions remain one of the most under, uh, under organized, under lobbied, under they're they're hugely powerful. Yes, and nobody pays the slightest attention to them, um, and so utilities routinely capture them. And uh, and truthfully, five five rear ends in the seats at a. State Public Utility Commission hearing are five more than were there last month, and you'll get a lot of attention. And it's a good place to make make interventions. So, but I'm I, I'm I think I think there's all the room too at a federal level for rational permitting reform. It just can't come tied to you know gift wrapped uh, this thing this Mountain Valley Pipeline. Thing, I mean, look at the thing that Mansion tried to put through uh, that senators like Tim Kaine. Uh, finally put the kibosh on the other day. I mean, it was ludicrous. Uh, It directs federal agencies to deliver permits for this thing without without conducting review, forbids their uh, appeal in court. And if there are court appeals, it chooses which court they're going to go to because they think they have one circuit with enough Trump Mm. appointees that they'll approve anything. That's not how people make policy in a Rational world—that's just the raw exercise of power. So I, I'm glad that side deal is defeated, um, but glad that it's raised the profile of the need for serious uh, uh, attention to permitting. We're going to have to build a lot of stuff fast, yeah. and our our you know the precedents for building a lot of stuff fast are not that um, great, but there are a few. I wrote a long piece not long ago. Uh, really detailing what had happened in America in the first year of the Second World War Mm -hmm. and how it was that we came to manufacture tanks and ships and planes on the scale that we did. And it's a fascinating story. And we need some of that same kind of spirit here. We've got if we're going to put if we're going to install clean energy at the pace that science says is required, it's going to take it's going to take a lot of work.
0: That's um, well. That's a that's a great note to wrap it on. That's where CCL is too. That 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 there is definitely going to have to be, um, you know, some emphasis and focus on on building out the transmission necessary to get this clean energy where it needs to be, um, and for us to reduce emissions at the pace we need to reduce them at. So, I, I think we we definitely agree with that assessment. Um, well uh, thank you so much we you know we've hit our 45 minute mark and, and I don't want to abuse your time thank you for for joining us today that this was a, a terrific conversation and and I'm confident um, that our, our volunteers uh, really really enjoyed it
1: I enjoyed it immensely and I just want to reiterate my thanks I know from long experience of seeing and working with people at CCL everywhere just how many million hours of Labor have been put in over the decade of the citizens climate lobby and I I really do want to just tell people that all that effort has been one of the reasons that we've been able to kind of change the conversation and the climate around climate and that's been truly significant work Uh, 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 and look forward to many collaborations going forward. God bless y'all take care.
0: Thank you so much, Bill. I know that means a ton to our volunteers and, and to everybody on CCL staff. Thank you for all that you do and, and for your support. Um, well, th- thanks again, everybody. Here are some brief reminders on where you can find today's recordings as well as uh, Bill's Twitter and his Substack. stack, um, more about Third Act. And if you'd like to get involved, you can get involved with Third Act at that link. Uh, we'll be back for our next event in the series in, in early 2023. Uh, Stay tuned for seeing who we'll have join us. And thanks again, Bill, and for all that Third Act's doing. And stay safe and be well, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Citizens Climate Lobby's training program. You can tune into more episodes anywhere podcasts are available. Inspired by what you heard today? Join Citizens Climate Lobby to advocate for bipartisan climate solutions. Go to community.citizensclimate.org to find more trainings, resources, your local chapter, national action teams, discussion forums, and more. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizens Climate. We also invite all of our listeners to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more inspiration. Like what you hear? Recommend us to your friends and
1: make sure to give us a five-star rating. It helps us show up on other listeners' feeds.
0: Feel free to pass on any suggestions for future episodes in the comments as well. And together, we are creating the political will for a livable world.